March 5th, 2020, Nanaimo, British Columbia. I am pleased to welcome Nanaimo, British Columbia, and Sir Oxman Stadium to play host to the 13th team in the West Coast League. Nanaimo Baseball, from the coal mines of Douglas in East Wellington, to number six in Jingle Pot, from Departure Bay to Nanaimo Harbor, Gabriola, Wellington, Cassidy, and Extension. This is their story. This is Cobalt. Everybody to inning number 10. Yes, that is right. You heard me correct. We are in inning number 10. We're going extra innings here of the series Cobalt. So I'm so glad to be back here recording after a couple of years. And we are not going away without going out with a bang on this one. And we're coming in with Nanaimo Great. Well, from what I hear, probably the one of the best players, if not the best player ever to come out of Nanaimo, Mr. Aaron Guile. Aaron, thank you for joining us for Cobol. Oh, thanks for the intro and, uh, you know, happy to join you. So let's let's go ahead and let's talk some of your earliest history, Aaron. And let's start with, you know, you were born in Vancouver, B.C., but you ended up playing in Nanaimo. When about do you recall your family moving to Nanaimo? Well, we, I was born in Vancouver. I was there until about uh, the fourth grade. And then from there, uh, the separation of my parents, um, we ended up moving over to Nanaimo with the, you know, just to be closer to my, just to be closer to my, uh, my mother's parents. And so by moving over there, uh, you know, with a strong influence of, of, of my grandfather, you know, we were close to him and he was a, you know, an NHL referee. He was a great uh, 20 year and he's in the NIMO baseball or NIMO hockey hall of fame. Uh, but we moved closer to be with them. And that's, that's really where it all began. Where, what made you get into baseball? Was there an interest there? Was it a family member? What, what got you into baseball together? Well, it was, it was a couple different things. It was, it was having time where, you know, single mom having to find things for, you know, her sons to do. And obviously hockey is a natural choice up there, but um, it was probably the, beyond my mother, it was probably my grandfather's influence, which was, you know, probably the single driving force behind, you know, us getting into the game of baseball. Um, Along with that, you know, and a, a, you know, a, a catcher's mitt and some golf clubs just keep us busy. But, you know, it was really my grandfather, Lloyd Gilmore, um, that, you know, many people in Nanaimo, you know, they, they, they know who, who he is and he's a legend in that town. Um, he's the one that really pushed us into, into the game of baseball. And it was, um, you know, it was something that we, all three of my brothers took to quite easily, but, 
Um, you know, he, I would say that he was probably the strongest influence, not, not just to get us into the game, but, you know, inspiration, you know, all along the way. What were those conversations like with your grandfather in baseball? Well, you know, he, his first, he had a larger than life personality, anybody that knew him. Um, and he owned a restaurant down there on the water and he was a storyteller. He was a big voice, a lot of jokes, a lot of, uh, a lot of energy. Um, so with him, it was, it was just about looking at him as a, as a, like an icon, as a, you know, just an idol, someone we all, we looked forward, we looked up to, we looked forward to spending time with him. He was just a storyteller. So the way that, you know, he was also, um, you know, don't know exactly, you know, the, the path that he took, but he was, he was on his way to potentially playing minor league baseball. So, um, you know, baseball was a passion of his. So was, so was hockey. So he just, the way he talked about baseball, the way he encouraged us to play, you know, it, it was, it was really what, what lit the fire early and just spending time around him. Wow. That's, that's awesome. Um, do you recall what position he played, uh, during his time? You know what? I don't recall the position that he played. I know that uh, for me and my, he was encouraging us, um, you know, really to be pitching and catching. So the, one of the first gloves that he gave me was a catcher's net, which, you know, subsequently didn't end up being where a position that I played. Uh, I did play early, um, but that was, um, that was the position he was, you know, and I think it was just by default because the, the, the glove that he ended up giving me was a catching bit. So it was, it was one, that was just the, the first position that I ended up learning how to play. Very cool. And then you, you, you ended up playing infield also early on and, and outfield at, at what point were you, were you switching from those two positions to playing infield and outfield? Well, I think at, uh, you know, 10, 11, 12 years old, you know, you kind of play positions out of necessity. So catcher was one, but then as time goes by, when you see, and you can kind of see players, I, I experienced this, you know, you know, as we speak when, with, with my 12, my 13 year old son and his team, you know, as you see players develop, uh, you see them, you know, grow and this is different strengths that they have. You, you adjust them. But for me, it was realizing I wasn't going to be a, you know, a big, Hulking catcher, which was which is how uh, was those are those are really uh, physical tools that you're looking for a young kid, just a big kid behind the plate. That wasn't me, so I think um, that is the reason I had good speed and you know could hit. That was I think the reason to take me a position behind the plate and then maybe move out to the infield and outfield, which you know ultimately is where I think you know coaches like Dick Simpson, who was a you know he was a longtime coach of mine in the Nimo, I think you know, they, they ended up moving, you know, myself to a position where they thought I could probably play uh, a little bit better long-term. And like most young student athletes in Nanaimo, you, you played hockey also, is that correct? I did. I played two years of house league, but, um, you know, and I'm not exactly sure why we weren't pushed into hockey a little bit, a little bit more. Um, but it, you know, all my friends were playing ice hockey. We, me and my brothers, uh, we played a little bit of house league, but not too much. You know, it wasn't. I think I played a couple, maybe two years, and then after that, it was, it was, it was. Uh, baseball was 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 a sport that I just really enjoyed playing much more. 
Mm-hmm. And so there really, it was a time to, not necessarily it was a time to make a decision, but definitely a time to, um, you know, prioritize and, 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 you know, maybe, maybe say baseball is the sport that, that we're going to end up playing. Yeah. Now from when you were growing up playing baseball comparative to, to now, there are a lot of differences in, you, you can do it more year long. Now you can be indoors training. What what were you doing in, in the the off seasons of when you weren't playing baseball to get ready for it, or was it you're just into other sports, which then helped build muscle in other areas? Well, I think now it's more of the science where they will take all the kids and say do other things because they realize that it's more beneficial. At that time, we would just go from one sport to the next to the next to the next, and really what it was is is just keeping young kids busy keep them out of trouble, keep them off the streets, keep them from, you know, um, you know, bugging their parents. Uh, but I think in off season, the way that we really did it um, was more about, um, you know, going from baseball. Okay. Now it's hockey season or now it's soccer season or, you know, or different things. So really our, our off season training was really um, all about, um, was really all about doing another sport and then subsequently being, being, um, you know, just in shape to do, um, to do the sport as we, as we moved around. So one of the things I'd like to ask some of the people that we have on is if you knowing what you know now, and some of the things that you're teaching, even your own children, what's something that if you could go back in time and tell your younger self to do differently with the game of baseball, what would that be? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what? I think, uh, in, in hindsight, but really what I would have done differently is, is just watch the game a little bit more, study the game a little bit more, um, just be a little bit more of a student of the game. Um, so that's, that's a part of the game that, that I think has, um, you know, has really blossomed for, for young kids. Uh, whereas, whereas that's not something I did necessarily. Um, and the reason why I think that's beneficial is, is that, you know, my son, I coach him at 13 years old. They're watching, they're studying, they have heroes, they have players, they watch how they play, they, they mimic the swings and, and just how to play the game. So they're just a lot more advanced. Um, and I think it really helps. So, you know, those are things that, that as, I, as I transition to professional baseball and in the United States, I was really playing catch up. Whereas now I see the level of what these kids do now and they are just so much more advanced, just the way they're they're processing and they're and they're they're uh, they're thinking and and the way they know how to play the game. Mm-hmm. Now you went to Woodlands High School in Nanaimo, but my understanding, having done you know this series, is that high school there's no high school baseball in Canada. Rather, it's um, team ball, so you have to get with like, a travel team. You know what what travel team were you playing with when you were in Nanaimo? Well, yeah, you're right. There is no high school baseball. In fact, when I was coming up, there was no university baseball. So it was all, it was all, um, you know, outside of school. So it, we would call it club, but it was more of like a rec league. Um, so it's, it's quite a bit different now. So we would play, we play like an Nanaimo rec league uh, that was at a local place. And, you know, you have volunteer coaches. We have mm-hmm. that, I, you know, I, I currently live in Arizona, so we do have that down here, but now what what what's added down here in most of the United States is that you have travel ball or club ball. We really didn't have that then, so we were really just 
at the mercy of the weather, the schedule. Um, you know, it was quite a limited schedule, limited practices. Uh, we just had to make do with what we had. Uh, and I think a lot of communities on the mainland, uh, in Vancouver and even on Vancouver Island, you know, I think they may be starting to copy that now. So they, they have travel programs, but it's, it's, it's really advanced the level of, of baseball since then. It's really changed. So now you don't have really a lot of opportunity for young, inexperienced kids to play. You get into it real early um, and, um, and you're into a pretty serious team and you stick with that team even at, you know, 10 and 12 years old, which is actually where I, actually, I started playing the game. Yeah. You know, I've heard for some people, especially doing this series, is that, you know, going and playing at Siroxman Stadium, which I, I believe you, you played there a little bit, was like to some going playing at Yankee Stadium uh, just because of that, you know, that big green wall. What was what was those experiences like for you playing at Sir Roxon? Well, you know, at that that level, we were we were going from a I'm trying to recall where that it was down by Bevan Park, which is in the center of, of Nanaimo. We played a small little local uh, stadium there, and then we ended up in Sir Roxon, which felt like a major league stadium because it was so big, and you know, it was just such a different experience. So we felt like we had hit the big leagues when we ended up in that spot. Um, but it was, it was, it was a beautiful stadium. I, I, I've heard that they've renovated, so I'm looking forward to getting, getting back and taking a look at it. Um, yeah. They, they took the they, big wall uh, down. <laughs> yeah. But it, it was, uh, you know, it was the first taste of, of, of full size fields, full length bases, you know, with the, the, the fences in the field were so far back and gave, gave all the boys, the young kids a, a taste of what that was like. So it, um, you know, we I think we all tried to hit, you know, our first home run in a big field like Sir Oxman, but that would really, um, you know, that there was we had good memories of, of playing, you know, in Sir Oxman with and, and some of the guys that I played with there, I, I still keep in touch with this day, to this day. Yeah, I was talking with uh, Jim Swanson, and you know, he had mentioned you might have played with the Rod, you might have had an opportunity to play with the Rogers brothers and and some other greats uh, from the area. Uh, what were those experiences like playing with with some of those guys? And if you you don't mind naming names, you know there were some great uh, great players from the area. I think I know the Batani family and even my family, and there was you know a few guys down from Duncan and the Naimo. There were some really talented, well known players. And you know when in hindsight now, when 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 you leave that area, uh, you know you move on to other things to get to know. But there was a lot of really talented players in the Nanaimo area and you know I was very fortunate to be able to get to leave there and go on uh, because I do believe that some of the, the really talented players that that I was playing with or against you know given the opportunity if, if they were exposed to some of the high level coaching and, and and more and you know I guess expanded schedule more games you know who knows what uh, what could have happened for some of those guys as well so there's some really really talented air, uh, kids that played in the area that, you know, just because of the limited um, facilities, limited teams, you know, your, your opportunities are just a little limited also. Mm -hmm. You, uh, after playing your, your, your pickup ball, what, what point were you realizing, okay, I, you know, I can definitely go on and play at the university or junior college and, and continue doing this game. Well, you know, in, in high school, for, for the club teams that we were playing with, there really wasn't much of an indication in my mind that 
that that opportunity was going to be there. I knew that, you know, I was pretty decent. I didn't think I was at that level, but I also thought there was also really good, talented players in the area. Um, it wasn't until I probably graduated high school and there was an opportunity to play for an organization called the National Baseball Institute, uh, with who is head coach by John Har, who is a legend and just one, still one of the best coaches I ever played for. He ran that program, and it was the it was the only program of its kind in the nation where you could any player could go and play for them, and you just had to play for. Um, the same team, but you could go to Simon Fraser, University of British Columbia, you could go to Douglas College, you could do all these schools. And that's really what the focus was, was to, you know, to help local players have a place to play without having to go to the state. So it wasn't until I graduated high school and played summer baseball out in Abbotsford, British Columbia, that that um, that opportunity came around. And I really sat back and said, OK, well, here's this opportunity. Where is this going to go? And, it, you know, you, all of a sudden doors started to open up. Um, and then, then it changes your way of thinking to say, hey, maybe there's a little bit more to this. Yeah. And when you're going through all these thoughts in your in your mind, you're, you're clearly communicating with your, you know, your mom. And were, were you communicating, talking about this with your grandfather at the time also? Yes, because my father was never really much a part of, of anything to do with athletics. He wasn't really much a part of uh you know, a lot of what we were doing, definitely not part of, of the baseball path. Um, so my mother, who is uh, Liz Gilmore, Liz, um, she was just, you know, she was a huge supporter of what we did, but also my grandfather. So, um, you know, the combination of the two of them, I had direction on, you know, maybe what I should do, where I should go, um, what decisions I should make, you know, whether I should go to the National Baseball Institute or, you know, because there's decisions at that age. Do we just go to work? Do we go to school? What, you know, how is this going to, you know, is this going to be a, a career path that, you know, that, that, that I should take? So, you know, having my grandfather there, who was always a strong influence, and then having my mother there to help me make those decisions, I would say that, you know, in combination with the two of them, you know, I think they encouraged me to do it. Um, at the very least, you get an education that, that can benefit you, you know, beyond baseball. But the, I would say that the, that the two of them continued to support not just myself, but my brothers. And, um, you know, were a, a major reason why I, I had confidence and to, to take that next step to play that. And also, you know, the reason why I, I, um, I did end up going to university. What are, what's one or two things that you think that you can take away from your time with your grandfather and your mom and say i'm essentially doing the same thing right now with my my own two children my own children yeah it's a great question um and it's one that as soon as i had children you just there's a lot of there's a lot of moments where you you gain an instant appreciation for your parents and the support and the people that you know that are there to be with you along the journey so you know I always valued my mother for who she was as a single person, single parent, and as a supporter of what I was doing, and my grandfather for just his love of life and the sport. Um, but then, you know, it's as 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 a father now. I have two daughters; one's about to graduate high school, and I've got a 13-year-old who, you know, I coach his travel ball team here. So, the level, the support that I got from from my mother and my grandfather, and how their unconditional love and support, the way that made me feel and encouraged me, and made me love the sport. Um, I definitely tr take that into how I, you know, I, 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 be, I am a father of girls, but also, 
you know, a, a teacher and a, and a, and a coach and a, and a father of my son. So I, I always take that. Um, I'm not hard on, on him. I do it with love because I know that if you're going to, you're going to go anywhere in this game, you know, you have to love what you do. Um, you have to do it with passion and not fear. And, and I just try to take those lessons and, and, and incorporate not just with my son, but you know, the whole team that I coach and they're 13 years old. So they really should really love this game. And it's, there's no trophies. There's no rings that are that important. Nobody remembers batting averages at 13 years old. No one remembers. They remember the experiences that you have with each other, your teammates, you know, getting ice cream after the game, you know, a couple hits here and there, but it's that experience. And then, you know, if there, if you need to get serious down the road, um, then so be it. But, uh, you know, especially at the, the, the younger ages, you really should love the game. Exactly. And I think sharing, share, being able to share the love of the game with your children is just as amazing, I think, as actually out there playing it, because then you, you know, you're giving them a, part, a different part of you uh, with, with everything. So I think that's really important. Um, so moving on. Yeah, it and I also see that, that there's, a, I coach against a lot of people that didn't have the experiences that I have and they, they coach uh, in a much different way where it's all about, uh, it's all about performance. It's all about points. It's all about impressing the parents and it's a different perspective. And those kids will burn out and not have those same experiences. So I try to always remember that. Interesting. Uh, I think that's, that's worth hitting on because like, I come just, just to be honest with you, I come from, uh, you know, a broken family myself. I never, never lived with my mom, never lived with my dad. I lived with my aunt and uncle and I always, called them my parents but the, you know the, the fact that you know they were they made sure i got to the games they made sure i got to practice they made sure i you know had what i needed to the glove the hat you know the cleats to be out there to play but just that level of support you know to be there and you know continue to have me like see it through to the end because there was times that i you know i personally wanted to quit but just to make it, you know, make me see it through, you know, and I owe them a lot, you know, because of some of those experiences. Oh, absolutely. And, and then when you get older, you just, at the time, the I mean, things that you don't appreciate. And then when you get older, you realize the sacrifice that were made, mm -hmm. uh, the sacrifice that were made and, um, and, and what they did in the time where they could have been doing other things and they chose to choose you or, you know, my family chose me and my path and sacrifice time and everything for, you know, for what I was doing. So now that I'm older, it's, it's just a, a much greater appreciation for, you know, the sacrifice that they made. Excellent. So moving on, um, you, you, you attended college, you, you know, you were playing, playing ball. Um, when did this whole, when did this whole major league, you know, the idea that, man, you know, I think I could take this to an, the next level, I, I'm I'm getting more confident in my skills and abilities. What what was that feeling like for you, and, and when was that precisely? Do if you recall, what was it was a uh, it was something that developed. It was a it was a feeling that developed or a goal that developed when I was in when I was even in high school. It was never there. Um, even even as I was graduating high school, I realized that I had a reasonable amount of talent, but it's not as though I was, I was, uh, you know, standing far above everybody else I was playing with. Um, I just knew that I had talent there and, you know, there was doors that were opening up, but the doors 
it was it was just barely in front of my vision so the door that was immediately in front of me when i was you know graduating high school was was the opportunity at the national baseball institute to play university level baseball um and i thought that's a great opportunity to continue to play prolong prolong the reality of life go to school get an education um and that's really as far as i saw it um then i played a year there and realized that i was improving at at a at a really fast pace in comparison to everybody and the talents were starting to you know to develop um and then when people start to whisper and murmur about, Hey, the draft is coming up in June and this is in January. You know, you, you know, you talk to people and, and other scouts and, and there's people that are walking around saying, Hey, listen, there might be something more to this. So, so then your mind starts to wander and say, really? So, you know, is it, what, what is, what does that look like? And, and, you know, being a, being a Canadian kid with very few, I shouldn't say role models, but, um, people that have that have done it before me guys like Larry Walker Matt Stairs these guys there wasn't a ton of guys that I could talk to to say okay well you went to college university you played minor league what does this look like so really it it was more of a daydream it was more of just staying grounded and um, and once it started to actually get to the draft there was a few there was a few tryout camps that that uh you know one of them was a blue jays uh scout and the other was a california angel scout had tryouts and so you know by attending them and there's very limited players that are there um you still think it's a such a far off goal something that that that, that it doesn't seem realistic um and so those those dreams you don't you even though at that point in time you don't think about the major leagues i'm still thinking about college um and just like here you know living in arizona there's so many major leaguers here so when i when i'm with my son as a former major league myself i'm around him all the time and i bring pitching coaches and i bring all sorts of guys around them and we coach against guys that are former major leaguers so they have um they can reach out and touch or reach out and talk to somebody that that has lived it so that they have this dream to aspire to and that other than having an inspiration from my grandfather who was just you know someone who had in a different sport to a different level we just in canada we just didn't really have a ton of that so for me those once once i started to just advance it was almost like i was you know i was always looking one step ahead not two or three and it wasn't until the draft in june i believe of 2002 where i got a phone call um that i had been selected in the 20th round not until then did i really think that a professional opportunity was something you know, that was, that was realistic. And then, then I started to, you know, talk with people and it was, that was really when it became real that, that a, a professional uh, team is, and a professional opportunity was, was, uh, you know, was realistic. What, what, what was going through your mind at that point when, when, when you literally got that call and you knew that this is coming true? Yeah, it was, it was an interesting morning. I remember it like it was yesterday, you know, asleep, being woken up by my phone uh, with a phone call from the local scout um, who said that, you know, I had been drafted and to expect another phone call. Uh, you know, it was like nine in the morning, eight or nine in the morning. And um, I was not expecting to be drafted. I was, I was, I really had zero expectations on anything. And then the phone call came from their, one of their scouting directors, letting me know that I had been selected in the 21st round. Uh, and and what at that time it was what they call a draft and follow so at a tw- as a 21st round kid they weren't necessarily interested in me joining them immediately but they saw enough progress and in, in how i had played that year to say 
we want to get his rights because he could probably turn into to a quality player. So it was, uh, you know, hearing that phone call and speaking to someone with the, with the California, then the California angels and them telling me the details where I was drafted, what their plans were. Um, you know, even then it, it, it really didn't become real. It still was, well, I, I don't know what that looks like. I'll give it, I'll give it a little time or I'll give it, I'll give it a couple months or I'll give it the summer. We'll see what they want to do. Um, and that's really the extent of what, of, of where I allowed my thoughts to go. But little did I know that once I packed my bags and left for Arizona, you know, I was going to be gone for almost 19 years. And you, so you went to Arizona, got your, your, your introduction. Um, and then was it that you went to play rookie ball at that point? Or was it you went to low A Boise? I joined the team late. And because at that time, there was only 24 visas per organization. That was major leagues, minor leagues. They could, and that didn't matter. You could be Canadian, Dominican, uh, Venezuelan. You could only have a maximum of 24, you know, visa situations. And so they were maxed out. So I, I wasn't able to go right away. And I was in a holding pattern waiting for them, for one of them to open up. And, uh, I ended up, tra- I ended up training with the AAA team, the Vancouver Canadians for, for, for a little while when till when opened up and as when it did open up, they said, okay, you got a week We're you know, we're get on a plane and, and down to Arizona, I went and I joined the rookie ball team there, but really because I was 20 years old, most of those kids are 16, 18 years old, 19 years old. I ended up in Arizona for about a week just to get acclimated. And then they sent me to their single a team in Boise, Idaho, which at that time was what they call short, short advanced A. Yeah. Yeah. Was it like a little mini basic training kind of going down to uh, Arizona for that week? It is besides, besides having, you know, so many kids down here, it really is, is like a basic training and it's, it's extremely hot. Uh, There's a lot of young kids. Um, You know, like I said, they're, you know, 16, 17, 18 year olds. They just throw them down here and whoever emerges, you know, good for them that you're stronger for it. But it's, it's not a place you want to be very long, but uh, it's, it's a place where I think they wanted to see what they had, you know, go out there, run around, throw the baseball, hit the baseball, just see, and then get me in shape. Because once you leave the Arizona, the protection of the Arizona league or the rookie level, you go to the affiliates. So the single A, the high A, the, you know, the, the advanced A's, the double A's, the triple A's. Those teams are playing in cities with with set rosters, um, and they don't want to they don't want to disrupt anything. So they don't want to send you there unless they know that, you know, you're you're going to help the team or you're going to be a quality player. So they I guess they wanted to check real quick just to just to make sure I was you know in in ready to go and and ready for that level. Mm-hmm. And then uh, you know I joined them and spent the rest of the season with that team, and it was it was a lot of fun. Boise was a great city, great people. Uh, but it was uh, the first taste of a, you know, energetic, you know, baseball only kind of town where, you know, the, the, the fans really are behind it and support it. It's kind of, you know, like the mini major leagues. What was that feeling like for you coming from the island where you're probably not getting a lot of people to come watch your games to then going to Boise or this, even though it's a low A, like you just said, they're a baseball town. They, the crowds show up. What was that feeling like to notice like the number of people in the stands watching you play? 
Oh, it was great. You know, great. And anybody that's gone through through Boise, whether you play there or if you're that Northwest League, really, really good league, uh, even players that are in other organizations roll through Boise. Uh, you know, great reputation. The fans are amazing. Uh, the the local families uh, they they do a host they do host families. So a lot of the players live with those families when they're there. It helps. We, you make no money in minor leagues, so. Um, you know, it enables you to kind of save your money and the families are just great. They pass the hat. So when you hit a home run, they collect money for you, dollar bills. There's, it's just, a it's a town because there's, they have boys, they have the, uh, the university, I think Boise state or university of Idaho, some there. And that really is it. And it's not really close to any major cities. So Boise is one of these towns that the Boise Hawks, when it was there, that type, that ball team is so supported by that, that community. And, um, you know, you're, you're a big deal. So it's, it's really cool as a 19, 20 year old kid to go there from Nanaimo, have people that are there, you know, great crowds all the time, uh, supportive fans, great facilities. You know, you really do feel like you're, you're, you know, you're kind of playing in a big league life. So it was, it was a really cool experience to do that my first year. Nice. So by 90, 97, you were uh, with Midland at that time, and that's when it looks like you converted to full-time outfield, um, and you know you started really taking off at that point when you got to Midland. Um, do you recall kind of what clicked for you at that moment where you started getting taken off right when you got there? Yeah. So I could always hit offense was not an issue. I just wasn't, you know, I was five eleven, you know, 200 pounds. So strong, but I was not six foot three, six foot four. So I, I was always in a difficult spot. If, if I could, I, the reason they moved to the outfield is because, um, at that level, you have to be such a, you have to be so smooth with your glove. You have to be so good defensively. Otherwise you become a liability. And a lot of, a lot of the Mexican Dominican, a lot of the Latin American countries are, are so, are so good in the infield that, um, you know, the competition is just, is just too great for that. And if you're, if you're a defensive liability, then, um, they'll just find someone to replace you. So because I was so strong hitting and I was a left-handed hitter, um, and I was, you know, in, in, to be, to be realistic, I wasn't progressing so well at the infield that they said, Hey, this is, this is your path to the major leagues. They said, Hey, we can hit, let's find a place for you to play. I had a strong arm. I could run. So the decision was made for me to move to the outfield, test that out, see how that went. Um, because I just wasn't uh, projected as a major league infielder. And that was a good decision. Um, it helped me get through college and into minor league baseball, but ultimately that next step for me to, to advance any further, I, I needed to find a position where I could play adequately. And fortunately I did have a strong arm and could play in the outfield. And then, you know, out there, you know, my offense, um, you know, it, it played. So it was just a better, it was just a better overall, um, you know, combination for me. Mm -hmm. um, I believe it was the same year, I think in 98, where you were traded to the Padres and you played and uh, ended up playing AAA in Las Vegas. Um, you know, you being with the Angels and then traded to the Padres, what was that feeling like, you know, having been traded to a different organization? Well, I, 
in 98, I was in uh, Midland, Texas for the second year in a row. And, you know, when you're in the minor leagues, you're in A ball, you always think you're going to go to double A. When you go in double A, you always feel the next spring training, go to triple A and so on. You just think that's how it should happen. And in reality, the, the, the you know, the professional baseball, it's so competitive that the team really doesn't care about feelings. They just, they're going to, they're going to always do what's best for them. So I ended up being in Midland, Texas for the second straight year. So I was disappointed, uh, but I was also trying to grind and, 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 and still get better. But I was disappointed that I didn't have the opportunity to play at triple um, I was still projected, you know, cause I was improving and offensively I was getting much better. I was still a, you know, a piece of that, you know, of their, maybe one of their better minor league players, but subsequently they had an injury at the major league level, uh, in, at the catcher position and all, and the, uh, at that time I was at the angels, the Padres had a, had a catcher that, that in the minor league that they saw as a, as a fill in or as an emergency for the player that the angels had lost. So I ended up getting traded, um, over the, to the Padres and, and trade. And so it was, it was bittersweet because the, the angels had given me that opportunity. You know, you just have that loyalty. I had met a lot of friends. I was very comfortable there. Um, but on the other side, you always look at it as, as an opportunity. So if this team is willing to trade for you, you have this hope that they see something in you that maybe the team that, that didn't promote you with it, maybe something that they missed. So I thought it as an opportunity to go over the Padres and maybe they thought highly enough of me to, you know, to move me up a level. And that's actually ended up, what ended up happening. So I saw an opportunity. I was excited. A lot of the guys over there with the San Diego organization, I had played against them, you know, in, in the Meyer leagues and previously. So I was quite familiar with them. So, um, it was, I, I was excited. Um, I was, you know, something that, that I thought was going to be better for me. Mm-hmm. Now, you kind of it takes like a little bit of a turn for the worse a little bit for you because from what I was reading, um, you ended up missing sixty games because you started having some some vision problems, and I'm probably going to kill this, but it was a double. What I read was a double astigmatisms, which is a it said that you had a rough surface on your eyes, which caused your contacts not to sit right. And what I read about that is that it's an improper curvature of the cornea, the lens, or the retina which results in blurred vision and you, uh, you underwent, uh, some, uh, laser surgery on your eyes at that point. Yeah, I did. So I was at a point where I was playing and that's probably in hindsight, I should have had my eyes checked before, but, uh, my eyes were getting worse and I, I needed glasses or contact lenses to play at that level. Well, I tried contact lenses and to read and to, uh, to just drive around, they were pretty good. To play baseball, they weren't so good, especially playing in a place like Las Vegas, which is dry and windy. So the it was it was either I play with glasses, I play with prescription Oakleys, or I or I try contact lenses. And contact lenses were the only viable solution. So when I tried contact lenses, they would dry out and they'd fall out of my eye because of the way my eyes were, just the way they're shaped. Um, nowadays it's just a simple procedure, but at that time, the, uh, you know, especially athletes weren't, weren't getting that type of surgery and it hadn't been around that long. So I just, I had a decision to make that the organization was really supportive. Um, I told them, listen, I, the only way I can play is with, with corrective lenses and the only, and you know, glasses aren't, a, aren't an option and, and contact lenses is too dry. They don't sit on my eyes. So 
they, uh, we both came to this conclusion that to have um, PRK surgery, which is laser surgery to correct the, uh, the astigmatism uh, was, was where we could go and had a really good surgeon uh, went and had it done. It was, it was not a fun process and I was out for a while, but it, uh, it ended up correcting it. Um, albeit it was dry, but the, I, I did miss quite a bit of time. So, you know, your the path that you take in life and in baseball Sometimes in the, in the middle of it, you don't, uh, it's not something that, that you're excited about and scary, but you know, in hindsight, it, it was the best thing. So although I took a chance to, to, to walk away from the team or to ask for that time to get that fixed, mm-hmm. I was, that was a little scary because they could have gotten rid of me, but at the same time they were supportive. So it was, it ended up being a good decision. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I've never, never heard of that uh, before until I was, you know, doing my research for this this particular inning of cold ball uh, on you. And I, I was just like, wow, that, that's interesting um, that you went through that. And then when you talk about glasses, like and the first thing that comes to my mind is like the Ricky Vaughn glasses from Major League, you know, with like the skull and crossbones. Yeah. He kind of could have wore some of those out there. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you... Those glasses are really an option and I've tried them. Uh, they just didn't work. <laughs> but were they, would it have been in like uncomfortable like batting or uh or you know even like fielding and just trying to be out there i mean i can't imagine it's like anything like it is today no i think i think now that surgeons are like with computers and everything it's just so much more advanced and healing is much quicker uh at the time i think the uh the major league where ricky he uh he's, he's wearing those glasses i think there's still players that consider it but there's been things have come along so well since then that, that I, th- I don't think people have to, they don't have to worry about that anymore. So. so you, you ended up playing with Las Vegas until 99 uh, when you became a free agent at the end of the season. And then in March of 2000, you signed a contract with the athletics and you were released shortly thereafter. Um, I'm assuming you were excited about getting a, another shot and obviously being able to play with the athletics, but what was, what was that feeling like, you know, just to, you get signed one day and then shortly thereafter you, you were released. Yeah. So the, what happened is at the end, after the Padres, they were maybe they're mildly interested in re-signing me, but they, they didn't end up doing that. Um, so I was kind of held in limbo. I was a free agent and I was relying on my agent to get me, you know, another job with another team. And it ended up being that uh, I don't think he worked very hard. And maybe, you know, I was a minor league free agent, so there wasn't a high demand for it. So there just wasn't any jobs available. So at the very last minute, I think my agent, uh, who was representing me at the time, he called in a favor to somebody to get me a position with the Oakland Athletics. I don't feel that the Oakland Athletics were all that keen on having me there. Uh, They just did it as a favor. So you're really not a valuable uh, member there. So if something goes wrong, they'll just pull the trigger and, and you're gone. You just, you don't have, a, you don't have any leverage whatsoever. So when I reported to the Oakland athletics, uh, they were doing a, a, uh, physical before you're allowed to be on the field. And they did, they found a weakness in my right shoulder, which had, had never affected any performance, but they, they, they found it. And so 
Uh, I don't know if they just said, well, we're just, we didn't really, we didn't really want you here anyway. You're not a valuable piece. You know, we didn't pay any money for you. You know, we're just going to release you so that we're not on the hook for any type of surgery. You know, should that be something that's required, even though the doctor didn't recommend it. Uh, but for whatever reason they, they chose, they, we parted ways. So they released me very, really quickly. So it was quite a surprise. And it hmm. left me in a position where, where I was there near the end of spring training, no job, no prospects, um, really, and career is over and uh, deciding what to do. So it's there. It, it ended up where an opportunity because I had played three years of winter baseball before then in Mexico. So I had enough contacts. Uh, I spoke with a couple guys, uh, an agent that represents all the Mexican players, and he ended up having. A, an opportunity in the summer for me to, to instead of going to organize professional baseball in the United States, to accept a job at a team in Mexico. So I ended up going down to Oaxaca in Mexico to play and, you know, continue my career. Do you think, and just throwing this out back to the athletics, do you think that they were, based upon what you were saying with this favor, do you think they were just trying to find any way that, you know, they could, they could get you out without having to pay you and just to be done with you. I think there's a combination of things. I don't, I think as a, as now in hindsight, knowing the business as well as I do, uh, I don't think there was any intentional, uh, they weren't going to pay me enough money for, for it to, to be necessary to be a deciding factor. But at the same time, I was a player that were going to have to be there and potentially if I had shoulder issues, they were going to pay for my surgery and on and on. And plus, you, you know, at the minor league level, especially low level minor leagues, and you're, you know, you're, you're a player that has, they, they, they look at you as just chess pieces with, with no emotion whatsoever. So they probably looked at it and said, here's a problem that we don't want to deal with. Let's just make it go away. And I had, I, like I said, I had no, I had no leverage, really no prospect of, uh, especially with them of, of, a, of a strong future. So I do believe that they just said, Hey, I think it's just best that we just, we don't know what the situation looks like. We don't know if he's healthy, not healthy, whether he's anything there. So let's just make it go away. Yeah. And then, so let's talk about, a lot. let's talk about the Mexican league. You end up signing with the the Warriors and you, you play there. You know, what would talk a little bit about that experience and, and playing yet yeah, again, playing in another, another country um, outside of your own. Yeah, I, that, uh, the, the, everything, you know, all my experiences have been just amazing. Um, I end up taking a job with the Oaxaca Warriors. That's a really unusual spelling, O-A-X-A-C-A or something. But it's, uh, I ended up expecting, accepting a job with, with that team. And until I, until I checked the geography, I didn't realize that it was a, it was a town that's, you know, almost down to Guatemala, down Central America. Um, and I, I, I took that job just because it was all that was there. And um, it's for, an opportunity to make, you know, a few thousand dollars or whatever to get my life going on and, you know, move on to the next step. So I really just did it just to keep on going, really not knowing where I was going, didn't know any of the players down there. I don't speak Spanish. Um, it was just, what what else am I going to do? Um, you know, little did I know it was, it was just, you know, kind of like walking on lily pads, trying to get across the lake, you know, across the pond. It was just another stepping stone um, 
but at the time it was just a way to make a little bit extra money and just keep on going. But, uh, the people there were, you know, I landed there, uh, really another, quite a leap of faith. There was really, didn't know anything about them, didn't know anything about the team, didn't know anything about the, there. And at that time, what it's just a beautiful place, really mm-hmm. neat spot. Um, I think they got pyramids and rainforests and stuff. Now it's very dangerous. They had a civil war. It, you, you don't want to, you don't want to go there. But when I was there, it was, it was completely different. So the timing I think was, was, you know, it was really good for, for me. Um, it allowed me to go down there, played a couple months there. And I had really, I, I told myself that I would play a couple months there. Um, I did played extremely well. And I was just at, I was at, uh, I was at the end where I said to my agent, okay, I've done all I can do. I'm tired of this. Don't want to do it anymore. Uh, I've loved Mexico. I've loved the team. Everyone's been super uh, respectful and uh, accommodating and loved it here, but I'm at the end. And so I said, I said to my agent, I'm going to give you a week to find me a job in the United States, in the States. I was hitting 350 with 22 home runs after two months, something crazy. Mm -hmm. And I said, if I can't get a job at that point in time with those statistics, then I never will. So, you know, you're find me a job or I'm done. And then, uh, then about a week later, the Royals end up calling and, you know, it was just, like I said, it was one of those, if I had not held on and not had the patience and not had the drive or the willpower, you know, a lot of those, a lot of those opportunities wouldn't have been around. Yeah. And so you, you end up signing with the Royals in, in 2000, uh, and you uh, spend your summer there with the Omaha, Omaha gold spikes, um, that year. And, of course, you now you're now you're again bouncing in the mid. You're bounced back to the Midwest of the United States, how? And you're you're getting closer back to your uh, back to Canada, but uh, but you you one step closer to the major leagues again at this point. How how is how are you feeling at that time, knowing that you're you're back on the right path? Well, it's almost it it was almost as though you're going down the highway. You take a detour, you don't know where you're at, and then you get back on the highway and you realize, hey, I'm 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 still on the path of where I where I thought I was going. You know, it was uh, I was now back in AAA. I was with a lot of the players that I'd played against. It was like I it's like I hadn't really missed anything. Um, but because of the experiences that I had, you know, mentally, mm-hmm. um, and the and the, just how tough I had become by some of the experiences I had been through. I was just, I was in a better position. I was more prepared to, you know, to be able to deal with it. So at that time I joined them and I was, I was ready to go. And, uh, you know, you're at the triple A, you're, especially with a team like the Royals who they are always seem to be in transition. Um, they, they're, you know, sometimes they're strong, sometimes they're not. And, uh, I just felt like, you know, I, I was now I'm, you know, now I'm getting up in age. It's, uh, the timing the timing is perfect to join that organization, but I was super excited because I joined some guys that I played with, you know, in the minor leagues. And so it just, just felt like it was the right spot for me. Mm -hmm. And you play with them through 2002. You end up resigning with the Royals in 2002. And then great things happened that year for you Um, on June 22nd, 2022. or June 22nd, 2002, you make your uh, major league debut 
what was that? What was the call like when when you got the call? You got the notification from your manager that you were going to Kansas City to step in and be there with the, the Royals. What was that feeling like for you? And what was that experience? Well, the, it was it was an incredible feeling. First of all, you know, a couple of weeks before that, uh, I was having just in a, you know just an incredible season. I was, I was uh, leading the team and and most of the league in average and home runs, and just really playing you know the best baseball I've ever played in my life. And the Royals called up another outfielder who now is a friend of mine, Donzel McDonald, uh, who was hitting 260 with 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 basically no home runs. So it was on the one hand, it was extremely frustrating because a couple weeks before that, you feel like, hey, what else can I do? There is nothing else I can do to get called up. Uh, I'm at a spot and there was an injury and they called up this other guy. So you think oh, it's never going to happen. You know, and then a few weeks later, it's almost like they realized that that wasn't the right move and they ended up calling me up. So, you know, you kind of feel deflated at first and then super excited when you actually do get the call. But I remember, you know, being, you know, where I was in Fresno, California, you know, coming in off the field and, you know, coming in off a right field to the third base dugout and then seeing in the dugout, you know, grouping of guys like five or six guys standing around getting ready to shake your hand. And you're like, you know, you know, something's up Mm -hmm. in the eye and, you know, because you're, you're in the trenches with these guys, you're, Every you're going to war with these guys every day. You're battling. You're all in the same. Everybody's going. Everybody wants to get to the big leagues. There's only one goal. So you're always rooting for them. You know their families. You know their wives, their children, all that stuff. So they, you could tell there was something going on. And then when they, when the manager came over and let me know, you know, it's it's really hard to hard to contain that that rush of emotion mm-hmm. you know, that you get. And and uh, and then and then you had then I had to get in there and I had to pack all my stuff, all my baseball gear. And then you have to walk out of the dugout back across the field because the the uh, dressing room was in, in right field. So all the players, because even the other players on the other team, you know, they're busting their butt. They're, they're you know, similar similar situation. They see you walking and they kind of stand up giving you like a high five and, you know, that kind of stuff. So to get that from my own team members um, and then also to get that, you know, that show of respect from the other from the other team, mm-hmm. was, you know, was very yeah you never you never forget stuff like that nice and then when you what was it like for you when you walked it you walked into the stadium in kansas city and you're like as they say in, in bull durham the show like i made it to the show yeah it's uh it, you know it, it all happens as a blur uh, ultimately, you know, I do. Re- I remember, you know, let them telling me that I was going to join the team in New York uh, to play the Mets for, you know, interleague play. And, you know, there's it, it is a rush of emotions. You're super excited because all the things you've worked for your whole life, all the, the sacrifice, all the practice, everything, you know, everything you've worked for all for that one moment. And then to get called up and then you've got enough time to stop and go, wait a minute. Am I ready? Is this, is this, you know, am I going to perform? And I got to fake a fool out of myself. Am I going to go on fire? So there's so many emotions that go through it. Um, there's a lot of pressure, you know, and uh, you just, you don't know how it's going to, you don't know how it's going to unfold. So it's uh, between when I got, ended up getting called up, getting the notice. They always tell you, don't tell anybody. You can tell your parents. Don't, you know, kind of 
don't be seen. Just stay in your room because they always make a roster spot at the last minute. They can always, they can always take it back. So you have to be just you kind of, you're careful about things. And, you know, once you actually walk into the, the clubhouse and, and your teammates see you, uh, they're excited for you. You see your jersey in the locker. You put that on. You go out for batting practice. Once that, it, it all starts to become real. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's, uh, yeah, even even during the game, even my first couple of bats in the game, you know, I remember them, but so nervous. Um, it's hard to be relaxed. And it uh, takes a while before you, it takes a while before you feel like you belong. Yeah. Is it, I got to ask, is it like the, you know, the crash Davis experience when he's talking to everybody on the bus about having been to the show and then getting white baseballs to hit for batting practice prior to the game? It really is. You know, it's, uh, you go from making, well, you go from making, not all the guys, but you go from making about $2,000 a month. You know, now you're making $200,000 a year. Um, you do. They are every baseball is brand new, uh, new cleats, you know, the five-star meals after the games, you know, five-star hotels, you know, fans. It, 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 you take everything in the minor leagues that is, is not perfect and you, you make it perfect. And that's what the big leagues, major leagues mm-hmm. is all about. They, it doesn't matter what team you're at, the, you know, the way that you're treated, the experience that you have is, um, you know, is it's first rate. And it's, mm-hmm. it's something where when you experience it, you definitely look at that and say, I want to play as to the best of my ability, because there is only, you know, w- once you experience that, you really realize and a lot of big league guys will say it, there is only one place to play as much as you, you know, you, a minor league player, you, You've done a lot of things that most people were not able to do. There still is only one place to play, and it's the major leagues. And you, when you get there, you realize that that is that is the truth. And last question on this part, but you know, you said you you went to New York, you're playing the Mets in interleague play, and you get to play at historic, you know, Shea Stadium. Um, you know, where some great games have happened, some amazing players, you know, have come through and, you know, the amazing Mets of the eighties. Um, what was it like to, to play at Shea stadium for you? Well, I was one of my best friends, uh, Randy Sadu was who I played, you know, in Nanaimo with, uh, for Dick Simpson down at Gyro Park in, in Nanaimo. Uh, turns out he's an investment banker in New York. So he was one of the first calls I made and he was actually able to be there for that first game and experience it. So to get there, uh, to be in that stadium, to look around, um, for him to be there, um, uh, just to, I wasn't able to fly any family there in time cause I didn't know I was going to start and, and we were on the road and getting ready to go back to Kansas city, but to look around and then try to take it in, you know, I think there was a realization where, Hey, this is, this is pretty amazing. This is really cool. The names of, of the jerseys that have been and the, the people that have played in that stadium, just the history and just, you know, just it, it can get a little bit overwhelming, but there's a lot of times where you have to slow things down, take a look around, absorb it, take it in because uh, there definitely are times where your team's not playing well and you're not playing well and you don't know how long you're going to be there that uh you know you 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 don't want to stop and smell the roses you got to get after it but uh those there's 
you know, I think when you mention, you know, different things that I wish uh, that I had done a little differently, I think, you know, slowing time down a little bit would have been one of them because there were some really cool times, really cool experiences that I wish I could soak in a little bit better. When you get back, when you got back to Kansas City to play on, you know, for your home, the team on their home field, and you got an opportunity to invite fan, friends or family to the game, who, what was the first phone call you made? Well, the first phone call would the first phone call would have been to my mother. Um, she's one that to this day I still share everything with. Probably the closest person I have in my life. Um, just you know, just somebody who is just so genuine, and it's you know definitely wanted her to just to be part of of all that. So um, even being in Kansas City, I wasn't able to fly um, you know my family there because. Because again, we were getting ready to go on the road, so it wasn't actually until a little bit later where we were going to Seattle, and Seattle only being an hour and forty-five minutes from Vancouver, and leaving a lot of tickets there. You know, we had a quick trip to Seattle, so I think everybody kind of held my brothers, my family, and friends and such. We uh, we used that as kind of a homecoming, so left a whole bunch of tickets that had a nice hotel room and was able to, you know, just to be there. I had a strong series. Um, and just be able to to share that with them was was really special. That's that's awesome. I'm glad that that you got to share that experience so close to home in Seattle, playing <laughs> the Mariners and the Old Kingdom. Uh, that's that's really really cool. In 2004, just like in '99, you know, you started ha- you have eye problems again. What happened? What happened this time with? with your eyes and having more problems in 2004? Well, it crept up on me. I didn't realize that um, sometimes when you have that type of surgery, you have to almost have another tune-up. Mm-hmm. And it was still a rel- it was still a relatively new procedure for uh, especially for athletes, especially baseball players. So what I didn't realize is that one of the eyes just needed a tune-up. Um, and, you know, I battled through it. But if you can't if you can't track a baseball going 90 miles an hour, you know, with rotation and, you know, the, the it, it's something that's very difficult to do, you know, with two good eyes. And if you if you don't, um, you know, it's nearly impossible. So I limped through a little bit of time and I finally said to the team, listen, I need some help here. I need to figure out what's going on. And uh, I didn't realize it. But then they said, yeah, your your prescriptions changed. So we need to go there and do a tune up, which they ended up doing. But. You know, I think uh, I, if I if I try to just be a tough guy and, and go through it, maybe they send me down and um, and then I never really recover. Uh, maybe they're, uh, but I they were I had the support of the Royals uh, and they they allowed me to go get the, the checked up again. And but you know I had some tough tough at bats, some tough times to get there, but they let me go do it. The doctor said you need a tune up. I had that tune up done. Um, you know, and I didn't really get back to the form that I had in 2002, 2003, but there was, you know, definitely still uh, was able to, you know, play at a decent level. So I was get, got back up in the big leagues, you know, ended up over with the Yankees, but still, um, you know, still has some good, good seasons. Yeah. And not only were you the Yankees, which was in 2006, I believe, but, you know, another, another great thing happened to you, I think that year, which was you got to represent your, your nation in the 2006 world baseball classic 
um, you know, on a team that include Justin Monroe, Jason Bay, and Adam Stern. And seems like a pretty good, uh, pretty good team to be on. It was, and it, you know, again, timing is everything. Um, when I look at my career, there's different chapters in the book where it, it could have ended the book. It could have, it could have been something that I could, you know, maybe just stop things at that point. Um, so the fact that I was still playing in 2005 um, and have the World Baseball Classic as the first time was was pretty amazing. You know, we had uh, Larry Walker around us. You know, recent Hall of Fame inductee. Uh, just a lot of really good players. So it was, uh, it was a, it was a fun, fun experience to so where I had played for Canada in 99 for the, at the world cup, but that was an amateur event in China. Well, in, in Taiwan. Um, so that was fun, but to wear the, to wear the, the, uh, you know, the, 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 the red and white for Canada in uh, the world baseball classic was, was very cool. And the highlight of that was actually beating the United States, um, you know, in, in pool play, um, mm-hmm. albeit some really kind of crazy, um, unfair type of, uh, scenarios made it so we didn't advance, but, it's, but we ended up playing a, a really great game against the United States and beating them in, in, the in the, uh, well, then was chase field down here in Phoenix. So that was, that was very cool. Nice. Well, I want to I want to fly again jump jump a little bit forward because you know there's a there's still a lot but I, I want to get into a really cool interesting I think time frame for you, which was um, playing for the Swallows in Tokyo in 2007. Um, you know when you started started playing there in Japan, I, I believe what you one of the things that you said in an interview that I read, which was that you you believe playing for Team Canada you know, made the transition easier for you to go play in Japan. And I know you explained that a little bit in, in that particular interview, but can you highlight what, what you meant by that and, and how that helped you? The, the, you know, I think it was that, and then also playing for the Yankees. So the experience of, of international and going to travel to Asia um, and also just playing with some of those high levels, just to be, just to go through that, um, you know, th- those, those key experiences definitely prepared me for, for going over to play in Japan. Cause when you go to Japan, although it's very modern, the people are so nice. Um, the baseball is excellent. They're, 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 you know, it's just a, it's a notch below major leagues, but it's such a clean game, but you're, you know, you're, you're on the other side of the world and, uh, to, to play in a country like Japan, you have to be at the top of your game, but you also have to be very very strong mentally. You also have to be a humble person. You also have to, mm-hmm. that life experience. A lot of times um, there's so many attributes that you do need if you're going to be successful to go play in a country like Japan. And it's not because Japan's difficult to do it. It's because you're taking away, you're giving up your dream of playing the major leagues. You have to be okay with that. You're away from your family. So you're, you know, you're isolated. Um, you're, you know, the language is so difficult. The, the, the food and the, the culture um, can be foreign if you're not open-minded to that type of thing. So all those life experiences that I had, had, had gathered and been a part of, now all of a sudden I'm, I'm um, over in Japan and I found it easier than some of the guys that, that um, not only my team but other teams um, experienced. 
Um, they would go over there and complain about the food. They complain about this. This isn't America. This isn't the, the major leagues. This isn't this, that, and the other. And they find themselves in the country, failing, and then getting sent out of the country. Mm-hmm. So for for myself to have that opportunity and then appreciate it, but also play and and do it in a way that um, you know that recipe is is humility, but also performance. Um, you realize that that is the reason I was over there for, you know, for, for five years, instead of being what they say is a one and done where you go in and you, and you, you, you go and you leave. Yeah. Um, Cause a lot of players, a lot of players there, um, act spoiled. A lot of players there, they do not, um, they do not appreciate the opportunity. Um, and they end up leaving a lot of money on the table. They, they end up having poor performance and they end up wasting their time, which which Japan is an amazing experience for a guy like myself, who is not a frontline major league guy. But um, but to go over there, you know, my my talents because I'm five eleven, you know, two hundred and ten pounds. Um, I my skill set translates over there. My power is just a little bit better. My my arms a little bit better. So over there, whereas normally it's 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 average for the states. It's above average there. And it it allowed me to go over there and, and just really have an amazing experience. Mm-hmm. Now, some of the great things that I I saw in preparing to to talk with you was one the uh, the fans in Japan uh, made your a personal fight song for you to the beat of O Canada. I thought that was pretty fantastic, and other thing that i i read on is that because of your curly blonde hair and gentle behavior it earned you the nickname angel from the team fans <laughs> how did that make you feel with your own fight song in a, in, in, in a, in a nickname oh it's it's very cool you know the people in japan are just it's it's an amazing culture and the people are just great um they're they look up to athletes and actors and things like that. And just with admiration. And so it's almost an instance, almost like a child, childlike innocence where they look up to baseball players and there's a fight song. They call it a fight song, but it's really, it's positive energy. It's always positive. And to be a part of that, I was just, it was, I, I, I enjoyed it so much. So the, the songs that they would sing, they would have a song for every player, every hitter, every pitcher, um, and what they would do is, is they just happen to make my song, you know, to my, the national anthem, uh, the Canadian national anthems. So it was, uh, I don't understand the words, but it is mm-hmm. to the Canadian anthem and, uh, and they would sing it. So it was, it was really fun. It didn't matter whether you're winning 20 to nothing or, or losing 20 to nothing. They didn't care. They were there to support. Um, you know, it was, it was something where in the big leagues, you got, you you have a lot of negativity, not only where you play, but on the road. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you you just, you just saw some experiences a couple of days ago in uh, New York where, where people are throwing things, um, you know, at a player in left field. So I experienced that in Chicago and other cities where people are cussing at you, yelling at you. Uh, it just can be, it can be, it can be a very stressful and hostile environment. Mm-hmm. In Japan, it was never, in Japan, people were always supportive always there on the road just appreciated what you did and i will tell you that because of those things it just makes 
it just, um, you know, it made my experience not only playing in Japan, but living in Japan just so amazing and definitely one of the highlights of my career. Yeah. Now, there was a, I, I also listened in to a, an interview um, and it had Tony Barnett on it. And he had mentioned in that interview um, that he was frustrated with the fact, he was frustrated, probably is not the word. He's very upset, disappointed. Uh, when he was taken out of the game after like three innings. But he did mention in that interview that you had pulled him aside, said, you know, hey, man, just take a deep breath. There are things in Japan you can do, uh, but there's things but there's things in Japan you can't do that you you can do in the States. Um, what, what, what are some of those things that, you know, that you can't do there that you can do in the States? Yeah, it's a good question. And most of it has to do with emotion. Um, you cannot show emotion. You cannot show anger. The Japanese don't like the anger. They don't like the emotion. Uh, they don't, you cannot show managers up um, and they don't like violence. So you can, if you're going to throw your hat, throw your glove, if you're going to push a teammate, if you're going to, if you're going to lose control of your emotions, um, it's always going to be, it's always going to spell bad news for you. So mm-hmm. I was just telling Tony, you, you know, you can't question the manager. You can't question the manager. You can't, um, you can't really act in a certain way. Um, you've got to, you've got to control it because it will, it'll never benefit you in the long run. Yeah. And, um, and, and at the time he was a starter who was, um, he was, he was somebody that, that I felt was, um, although he was a starting pitcher, he wasn't, he wasn't really all that effective. Um, he ended up coming back. I encouraged the team to resign him and he came back in the bullpen and then he ended up being a very effective, uh, relief pitcher. So, you know, it worked out. And now, you know, I'm still, I still work for the Swallows, the Colt Swallows as their, one of their international advisors and scouts. Mm-hmm. And, um, so, and I work along, I work along. So that humility and that appreciation comes across to be genuine. Um, and he's a good guy and, and that just, that definitely um, that definitely enamored us both with the team, and then you know they had they had no issue with hiring us as their as their uh, as two of their advisors over on this side of, of the Pacific. Mm-hmm. Were there were there similarities in, in using this as an example of playing in Japan and how there's things you can't do in Japan that you can do in the states? Were there similarities to playing in Japan as playing? like for Canada or in Canada? Well, I think, um, you know, the game's a little bit different, but um, they they want you to play, especially as a foreigner, they want you to play with energy. They want you to play with excitement. They want you to play with um, with passion. They don't mind as a foreigner if you're a little bit flamboyant, um, but they play such a controlled game. Um, so it, 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 it's, you have to adjust because the game is a little bit different. But most of it is, um, you know, you're, as a foreigner, when you go to Japan, you're you're expected to do things that are dynamic. You're supposed, you know, you're supposed to dive. You're supposed to steal bases, hit home runs, do all those other things. So, as long as you understand that that's why you're there, and that mm-hmm. as long as you understand that that's what the team is expecting of you, um, you know. And like I said, you know, if especially being, you know, having the experiences I had in, in the U.S. Um, and being humble that way. Um, you put those things together, and and if you understand that, you, you, it's a little easier to be successful over in the U.S. I'm sorry, in Japan. Are you, did you take some of that humility that you learned um, 
in Japan and you know teach your children all three of them that humility yeah absolutely and that that carries on with not only just him but the rest of the team you know that's that's how we're going to play um and um you know, I, I believe that if you do that, then, then good things happen. You gain the respect of the people around you and you just show appreciation because the game is very, very hard. And if you don't, it, it's so easy to watch if you're a parent or if you paid it to, you know, money to watch a game, you purchased a ticket. It's, it looks so easy on TV and it's such a difficult game. So uh, for me, I, I always, re- I always remember that. So uh, if, if I see somebody struggling, you know, I'm going to recall that. I'm going to try to, you know, be a support in a way that I know um, is going to help them get over that and just get to that, that next level, as opposed to, you know, kind of grinding them down, beating them down, and end up making things twice as bad. So, yeah, I think it's uh, part of it is experience. Part of it is 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 just playing this game for so long and realizing how hard it really is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so here comes the time of of the this inning where. I want to switch really fast forward to today and where we're looking at for 2022 and the inaugural season for the Nanaimo Night Owls. When you heard that Nanaimo was getting some higher level of collegiate athletics, but it's being in the summer, it's a wooden bat league. What what were you feeling like for that city, the city that you lived in, and for the city and for for the people within that city when you heard about it? Well, I think it's uh, I think it's 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 very it's uh, it's very cool. It's it's a it's something that that I think that the um, you know the Nimal fans. I mean, they've always been supportive of that team, right, of Siroxen. Um But I think it's much needed. I think it's going to be well supported. I'm super excited for for the town. Uh, to see that level, but also to see, uh, you know, that level of baseball come over to the island. You know, it's uh, it's it's something that when I came up, there was it was so it was so far away. There was no thought at all of of, of that level of baseball being there. So, uh, first of all, I hope that I think the town will receive it really well. I I really hope that they appreciate, you know, kind of what goes into it. I, I definitely do. So it's you know, for me being from that place and just you know how. Uh, uh, what a what a really neat city that is! I think it's a it's a great opportunity. And uh, you know, if I was if I was closer, I would I'd probably find a way to be, you know, a bigger bigger part of it. But I know they're in good hands, and uh, you know, I'm excited to see where that goes for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I am too, and I think it's going to do a lot for for the younger players now who are who are coming up and get that opportunity to come see some of these players who very well could go on and be uh, major league baseball players uh, somewhere down the road in their career. Just like, just like yourself. Well, yeah, if you, if you have players there and you, you have someone to look up to, you have someone to be inspired to be, uh, it, it definitely gives uh, some energy, you know, as you're, as you're playing there. And if they have a junior division, then, you know, it can only elevate, you know, the, the lower levels as long as they do it right. And uh, I think you'll see a byproduct. It takes time to see all that develop, but but I do believe when you have that level of baseball there, players see it and they're a part of that. It's very similar to minor leagues, you know, down here where where it creates excitement and and you just you just know the difference between 
um, you know, a player or a player that ends up quitting. Mm-hmm. You got to be able to get back at some point and watch a game. You know what? With the, now that COVID is kind of calmed down, um, I know the Canadians had a lot of strict rules. We haven't really um, down here, so just waiting for all that to to settle down. But it looks like it's getting there. So uh, if things continue, like you know, I hope to be back there this summer and you know give uh, Jim and some of the people there a little heads up and you know just you know, don't surprise them. But would love to come and, and check out what what uh, what they're doing out there. Excellent. Well, I'm looking forward uh, to this inaugural season of the uh, the Nanaimo Night Owls uh, and slash uh, Nanaimo Bars. By the way, are these Nanaimo Bars as good as everybody says that they are? Oh, but they are. They're they're far better. It's if you get them from the right place, you get them from a little. They're they are amazing, and they're so unique just in Nanaimo that you'd never think of them. But they're they're a they're a pretty tasty little treat <laughs> i am gonna i'm gonna like eat a bunch when i go up there and bring some home for oh. my family but uh, i forgot all about them until just now but yeah they're they're uh there's something to look forward to when every time i go back there it's like to me it, it kind of sounds like going back to like boston new york and getting like a cannoli because you know they're gonna be good so yeah, it's like uh, it's like cocoa and coconut with uh, almost like a sweet um, yellow, sweet kind of frosting, and then uh, chocolate on top. Ooh, that sounds really good. It's so, it's really good. My grandfather, when he had a restaurant, uh, he used to make homemade ones in that place, so we used to have them all the time. Pretty amazing. Yeah. Well, you know, I I appreciate you um, coming up on this inning of Cobol and being part of this amazing journey. And it was wonderful getting to know you a little bit better, um, but also doing this research and looking into your background and it, you know, your ball in Japan, your time playing in Japan. And I think the things that you took away from that for me personally it was the most influential and I was just so excited to learn about all that. And I dug into it, learned more. And I'm like, wow, I really got to ask Aaron about that. So I thank you so much for, uh, for coming on this inning of cold ball and being part of this amazing journey. No, you're very welcome. And it's, it's always nice to kind of go back through it a lot, uh, do it all over again. Cause sometimes you, you know, as time goes by and the, the more time you're away from the game, you, you know, those, those memories start to fade. So it's always nice to go back and, and then and talk about them and relive them a little bit. So I appreciate that also with you. Excellent. Thank you so much. Well, that'll do it for this inning number 10 of Cobalt. We're going to be coming back again with another special inning. We're going to 11 innings of Cobalt. And you're just going to have to wait for that inning and our special guest coming up. That'll do it. I hope you have a great day wherever you are at, and peace out.